I've titled our lesson this morning, Everyday Theology. Everyday Theology. The gospel, the gospel of Christ our Savior, ought to affect us more than Sunday and Wednesday, don't you reckon? This is good everyday theology for the believer. Now, the believer knows the gospel. The people here, you know the gospel. At least mentally, you know the gospel. You've been taught the gospel. We know the doctrines of grace. The believer knows and trusts Christ. In his mercy and in his grace, God has made us part of the body of Christ. That's what Paul had been talking about in the previous verses. And since that's true, since that's true, there should be some changes in the believer's conduct and attitude. Now, this cannot be stressed strongly enough. I'm not saying that in any way will the believer's uh, conduct and behavior be perfect. Not in any way. In no way am I saying that the believer's conduct and attitude will somehow become so good that we'll become worthy of God's mercy and grace, that that it'll somehow contribute to to our righteousness, contribute to the security of our salvation, that it'll contribute to to God wanting to bless us because our conduct is so good. I'm not saying that at all. I'm certainly not saying that the believer will ever be satisfied with our conduct and our attitude. If we are, something's seriously wrong, isn't it? But there will be a changed attitude. There will be a changed conduct in the, in the believer if God has saved them. If there's not this changed attitude, changed conduct, there's not been a work of grace done in the heart. Because what is in the heart is what directs our actions, our motives, our attitudes. And in the opening verse of our text this morning, Paul talks about the way that the Gentiles walk. And what he's talking about there is the unbeliever, the heathen. He's talking about the dead nature of the unbeliever, not just their actions now, their nature, their nature is dead. And it's important for us to remember every believer still carries around that same dead nature. It's the dead nature that that we're fighting with all along. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is the believer's got a new nature to fight against that old man. That's where the struggle against sin comes from. So Paul begins, our text begins in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So he's, he's already starting out here with the attitude with in the vanity of the mind. That's where the problem comes from. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with with greediness. Now, the unbeliever walks in the vanity of their mind, the emptiness of their mind. What directs their actions is an empty mind. It's a mind that's empty of spiritual life. It's empty of spiritual truth. It's empty of spiritual understanding. It's a mind that is perverse. Now, that's all men. Believer and unbeliever alike have that attitude. Man at his best state is altogether vanity. That's our our mind. We're empty, perverse, dead minds spiritually. The unbeliever doesn't know God. And since they don't know God, they don't trust him. If they don't know God, they don't know his son and they don't trust him because their heart is blind. They can't see them. 
They can't see them. They can't see Christ. They can't see their sin. So they don't see their need of a savior. They just, they, that's why they don't run to Christ begging for mercy. They don't see their need. They don't see the glory of the savior. And they don't feel bad about it because their heart is dead. Their heart is dead. It's past having any spiritual feeling. They don't feel their need of Christ, so they don't cry out and beg him for mercy. And what they end up doing, because their mind is, is, is darkened and blind, their heart is dead, they just seek after the perverse things of this world. I mean with a, a greed and a lust and a need, need to get it all. I mean, no matter how much you get, it's not enough. Now, I'm not just talking about money and, and possessions and things, but it's also popularity. It's also having people adore you and put you up on a pedestal. You know, they seek after that with such fervor because that's all they know. That's all they know. But the believer's not so. Verse 20, Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you've heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If you've learned of Christ, from Christ, not just from a preacher now, if you've learned of Christ, from Christ, if he's been your teacher, you have spiritual life. God's given you a mind that knows him. You know him. So you trust him. That's God's mercy and grace to you. He gave you that mind that, that knows him. You do know Christ. He's enabled you to see Christ. He's taken those scales off, off, the, off your mind. So you see Christ. That's why you trust your soul to him. You see Christ and you see your own sinfulness. You see your own help, helplessness. That's why you get, gladly trust Christ to do it all. That's why you gladly submit yourself to him and his righteousness because you see you don't have any. <laughs> you feel your need of Christ. That's why you constantly cry out to him for mercy. That's why you constantly cry out to him, Lord, forgive me of my sin. You need him. You feel your need of Christ. That's why you come to the public worship service. You come here to hear of him, to hear from him. It's a need that you have. A person who has learned Christ from Christ, they've been given a new nature, a new nature that needs Christ. And if we've been given a new nature, I go back to what I said at, at, at the beginning, there'll be a changed conduct. There'll be a changed attitude. It won't be perfect, but it's going to be changed. And Paul, what he's telling us in these next verses is now, since God's done a work of grace in your heart, act like it, act like it. Verse 22, he says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, like I said a minute ago, every believer has two natures in one body. We have an old man and a new man. And Paul tells us, Put off the old man. Now, how do I put him off? Well, it's by not acting exclusively like that old man anymore. We put off that old man by not letting that corrupt, deceitful nature direct us all the time. Now, you're not going to be able to stop it from happening. <laughs> we cannot stop that old man from doing what he does. He can't do anything else. But we can fight against it. 
right? We can fight against it. This word put off that Paul uses means to lay aside. John Gill says it's to put the old man off his seat of power. Yes, he's still going to be there, but he don't have to be on the seat of power. You don't have to make provisions for him. You don't have to make excuses for him. Say, well, I can't help him. I'm going to act this way. This is all the old man wants to do. You don't have to make excuses for him. And this is something that I believe will be very helpful to you. This uh, phrase, this verb is in the passive tense. This is not something you and I actively do. It's in the passive tense. It's something somebody else does for us. And I want to stress that. This is something God has to do for us. I want to stress that because it takes the burden off of people. You know, when we preach the gospel, we shouldn't be putting a burden on people, should we? You know, if we just really just pound this and saying, don't act like this, don't do this, don't think this, just we're going to put a burden on people. And it's going to be bad because I'm going to think, I can't do that. It's just going to be so discouraging. The gospel ought not be discouraging. The gospel of Christ should be encouraging, doesn't it? I know we can't do this. I know we can't put off the old man and, and, and never act like him again. I know that. But this is something God can do for us. This is something God does for his people. I can't put off the old man. I can't quit acting like him. I can't quit thinking like him. I can't quit smelling like him. But I can ask God to do this for me. I can ask God to give me this mind, to give me this attitude. Lord, enable me to lay aside that old man. So he's not constantly directing my, my conduct. And if you look over at 1 Peter chapter 2, Here's something else that, that will be encouraging to you. Laying aside this old man is not a once for all thing. Y'all say, well, I, I've defeated this sin. I don't do this anymore. I don't think this way anymore. I don't. It's not a once for all thing. Because look what Peter says, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside, not that you have laid, laying, constantly laying aside, all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We're constantly laying aside this old man, laying aside the malice and the guile and the hypocrisies and the envies and the evil speakings and constantly seeking to be fed the sincere milk of the word of God. This is a, it's, it's a constant thing. Don't be discouraged when you don't put that old man down once and for all. Because we won't do it till God kills the body. That's the only time it'll be done. But now then Paul, after this, Paul gives us some specifics. There's some, some specific things that we're to seek, to ask God to do for us. There's some things we should not do and some things that we should do. If so be that we've learned Christ. Number one is this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 23, back in our text, Ephesians 4 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. Put off the old man, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now put on the new man and be renewed in your spirit, in the spirit that God has put in you. Now, 
This word renewed, you know, people you try to use that word renewed as an argument against the new nature, you know, that there's not two natures in a believer. That if, if that was so, the, the new man who's perfect would never have to be renewed. This word renewed doesn't mean that you have to, the new man has to be born again in you again. If that makes sense. He doesn't have to be born again. He doesn't, that new man is not righteous and becomes unrighteous and you got to make him righteous again. That's not what this means at all. It means a refreshing, a refreshing. We can't renew ourselves, but we can seek a refreshing where it's found, can't we? By the preaching of the word. If you would be refreshed, look to Christ afresh. Look to him again. Come to him. Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. Peter said to whom coming, keep coming to him and come to him like you've never come to him before. Look at his mercy and grace and love for you and stand in awe of it like you've never seen it before. Every message that I prepare I try to, to prepare the gospel like I've never seen it before and like you've never heard it before. So we stand in, stand in all of it again. Trust Christ. Trust him like you've never trusted him before. Now you can't renew yourself. What does Paul say here? Be renewed. Be renewed. Be renewed by the gospel of Christ. Be renewed by the word of God. Be renewed. And I'll tell you the best way I can think of to be renewed, to be refreshed, is to listen to the gospel. Listen to it preached like you've never heard it before. It's not like, well, you know, I've heard this before. No, listen to the gospel preached like I need a message from God to me. This is a message from God to me. Listen to the gospel with a needy attitude. Boy, I tell you, this thing of uh, is so common in our day to listen to the gospel preached with a critical attitude. Find out where the preacher's wrong about this and where he's wrong about this and what I know better. Listen to the gospel with a needy attitude. I need Christ. I mean, we do, don't we? We do need Christ desperately. We should listen to the gospel with a needy attitude. If we do, we'll be renewed. And if we're renewed like that, we'll be able to set aside the power of that old man, at least for a little while. <laughs> at least for a little while. Brother Adam Simpson tells me all the time on a Sunday, he says, I believe I can make it to Wednesday now. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about being renewed and, and set aside the power of that old man for a while, but it's not going to last long. I'm going to need to come back and, hear, and be refreshed again. Then verse 25, Paul says, quit your lying. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Now, certainly this means we ought to live honestly in the world. You know, the unbeliever thinks nothing of dealing dishonestly with people, dealing dishonestly, you know, to, to, with people to get ahead. Many of you know, I used to work at a, at a distribution center. We distributed goods and all over the, you know, all over the place. We had a lot of, of customers who were Arabs. And these fellas, I mean, the amount of money that they owed us was is staggering, staggering. And they kept promising, you know, that they'd pay it. And we and they weren't. We finally just, you know, we, we quit delivering to them. And they came in like shocked that we would quit delivering to them. And I told them, you boys have kept telling us you're going to pay. You don't. 
And he said, oh, we just thought you, you understood we were lying. He said, that's just common practice in our country. Everybody knows. Whenever you're dealing with people in business, everybody knows you're lying. <laughs> well, let that not be said of you and me. This, I mean, I understand, but let that not be said of the believer. Oh, live honestly in this world. I just, you know, dishonesty in our business dealings brings such reproach on the gospel. Don't, don't do that. But I tell you what is much more important that Paul's talking about here. You already know, God's already put it in you when you were born, don't tell a lie. So he's talking about something more important here. Be honest with yourself spiritually. Spiritually. Be honest before men and honest before God. He's, Paul says here we're members one of another. Now he's tying that to this business of, of honesty. Don't lie on God by giving your brethren the impression God's blessed you because you did something right. Don't lie on God by giving the impression, oh, you know, God saved me and he's blessed me and he's keep blessing me for any reason other than God's undeserved grace. Live like you need the Lord. Live like you live trusting him. Trusting his grace, not your works. Trust his mercy. Trust his grace. Don't lie and be a religious hypocrite trying to get people to think you're better than you are. Now, I, I mean, we don't want to expose all of our sin and our sinful thoughts and our. But don't be a religious hypocrite either and think you, you make people think God's blessed you because you're so good. And when they're not blessed that way, they're going to think something's wrong with me. Now, what if you were, we're members one of another? If you live with this lying attitude, a religious hypocrite, making people think you're holier, better than you are, you put a burden on your brother. You put a burden on another part of the body. Now, don't do that. We're members one of another. That's lying and that's of the devil. That's of the devil. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But if somebody thinks that God has blessed you, for any reason other than his undeserved mercy and grace, you know what they're going to do? They're going to start looking at you, trying to copy you. I better live like that, live like this person if I want God to bless me the same way. And what's happened? We got our eyes off Christ onto a man. That's of the devil. That's the devil's goal. Anything to get our eyes off of Christ. Next, Paul says this, verse 26, get a hold of your anger. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, there are reasons to be angry, justifiably angry. When I hear things that, that these false prophets just spit out today, it makes me angry. It makes me angry. They're, they're lying on God. And they're deceiving the souls of men and women, sending them to hell, believing what they're preaching. That's not okay. It, it's, I think it's perfectly fine to be angry about that. The Lord was angry with those that made merchandise of men's souls, wasn't he? He, he found some cords and wound them together, braided them together into a whip and drove them out. Those men saw the anger of the Lord, his anger. But I tell you, we need to be very careful in this matter of anger looking what other people are doing, being angry at them for what they're doing, that will lead right quick 
to a judgmental attitude. Like I'm better than them. I mean, I'm angry at somebody because I'm better than them. You know, we're dealing with others. We, we do very well to remember this. God is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. We ought to try copying that sometime. We really should. And we need to act. This is not something that we can lay aside ourselves. Remember, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, do this for me. Put this attitude in me and enable me to walk after the Savior in this way. There are things to be angry about. But there's something wrong when somebody's angry all the time. Something wrong with that. Because Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I'll tell you the main thing. I thought about this a lot. How can you be angry and sin not? Well, the main thing we ought to be angry about is our own sin. That's what we ought. The main thing we ought to be angry. The main thing I ought to be angry about is my own failure and my own self-righteousness. If I'm angry at myself for my sin, my failure, you know what that'll cause me to do? It'll cause me to see Christ. See, if I'm angry at somebody else, that'll lead me to sin. It'll lead me to be judgmental. But if I'm angry at myself, it'll cause me to seek Christ. <laughs> it'll cause me to seek mercy and forgiveness. Your anger without a cause is a sin. That's what the Lord said. The Lord called it murder. Murder. Being angry with your brother without a cause, he says murder. An anger that leads us to seek vengeance, now that's sin. Just let it go. What did the Lord say? Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. Leave it to the Lord. Just leave it to the Lord. And whenever anger comes up, let it, let it go. Let it go as quickly as y'all seek God's mercy. Seek his grace. Seek his, that he give you the ability to, to let it go. I mean, seek this hard. Now I'm talking specifically about the body of Christ now. Don't let it do a slow burn. Don't let it just sit there and burn and burn and burn and burn. I can't think of anything that'll end up causing more damage to God's church than that. Because that slow burn eventually is going to burst into big old wildfire. And we can, we can seek God and seek his, 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 his blessing to enable us to let that go. Let that go. Then Paul says, don't give place to the devil. Verse 27, he says, neither give place to the devil. <laughs> now, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You know, we're not going to not give place to the devil by standing going toe-to-toe with him. We're going to lose that battle every single time. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And the best way I can think of to, to, to make way for Satan, to give place, give him a foothold, the best way I can think of to do that is by either making or listening to an accusation against one of the brethren. Best way I can think of to give Satan a foothold. Remember, Satan's goal is to get us to look at anything, to focus on anything except Christ alone. Well, if we're angry with our brother, for the wrong that we think that that he's doing. That's all we'll think about. Now we're focusing on that wrong instead of on Christ. When we start wanting our own way, when we start wanting to to promote our own agenda, get things going, you know, the the way that I want to go, this is best for me, even though it's worse for everybody else. 
That's giving place to the devil. That's giving place to the devil. Because when we start all focusing on our own agenda and on our own way, we're not helping anybody. Because we're getting them to focus on what we want to do instead of focus on Christ. I promise you this. I promise you it will hurt the souls of men and women to follow our own agenda. But it will save and edify and comfort their souls if we're focused on Christ together. Focus on him alone together. Now, we need to remember that. You know, what I want, maybe maybe it is a good thing. I don't know. But if, it, if it, it's a bad thing, if it gets us off of focusing on Christ alone, you see what I'm saying? Then Paul says, quit your stealing. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, that thing, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to them him that needeth. Now, this goes right along with, with lying and being honest. Don't take what doesn't belong to you. Go out and work an honest day's work to get what you need and then live with, within your means. You know, there, there's nothing better than working your job in, in quietness and coming home and eating your own bread, eating the fruit of your labor, eating from, from an honest day's work. And I'll give you a real good example of something Paul's talking about here. Because he's saying it's not just don't steal and don't just, you know, go to work because that's what you're supposed to do. Go to work so you'll have to give to him that's in need. See, this is an attitude. It's an attitude of generosity. It's an attitude of giving. Zacchaeus, when he first climbed up that tree, he stole from everybody everywhere, didn't he? He stole from everybody. But not after the Lord saved him, he didn't. When the Lord told him, come down from that tree, I must go to your house today. Everything changed, didn't it? Everything changed. <laughs> Zacchaeus gave us a very good example of working an honest day's work and giving to him in need. He said, Lord, I give half my goods to feed the poor. <laughs> but just like lying and stealing, don't try. This is this, this talk. You already know not to take what doesn't belong to you. God's already put that in you. He put that in you when you were born. So Paul's talking about more than that here. He's talking about not trying to steal God's glory. Don't try to steal God's glory by pretending God saved you because you're so good. Don't pretend now that, that God is blessing you. He just, I mean, oh, there's folks that God blesses. I mean, just how he blesses. I mean, there's, there's people, you know, God's blessed them so much in every way. I mean, spiritually. I mean, this, the Lord saved all their children. The, the Lord's just given them all great jobs and they're just, they're, they're wealthy. Just, uh, everybody likes them. It's just, oh my word. Well, if that's you, don't try to steal God's glory by pretending God's blessed me this way because I do everything just right. That's stealing God's glory. God's glory is he blessed you even though you don't deserve it. <laughs> See that? See, walk, the walk of a believer, it's a whole lot more than actions. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of humility. It's an, an attitude of thankfulness. It's an attitude of worthlessness. That's, that's what it is. Then Paul says, verse 29, watch your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, corrupt communications... That's unacceptable language, and you already know not to use those words. You already know that. 
I mean, whatever the Lord didn't put you in you, put it in you to, to know not to say those things. Your mama taught you when she washed your mouth out with soap for saying them. You know not to say those things. And you know the evidence that Peter gave when he tried to make those, those folks sitting around that fire think he didn't know the Lord? was his language. He began to curse and swear. Now watch that. Watch that. But I tell you what's more important about this, this matter of corrupt communication. It's not ministering grace. Not preaching the grace of, uh, of God. It's preaching salvation by works and giving the impression God saves people who are better than somebody else. Who are better, better than the average Joe, you know. It's not God's grace alone. Use your mouth to edify. You know what will encourage your brethren and edify your brethren? To remind them, look to Christ. Look to, it's all of God's grace. It's all of God's. Look how, look how merciful God's been to. Look how gracious God's been to. That'll encourage and edify the body of Christ. The impulse says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, again, Paul's talking a whole lot about a whole lot more than, than sinning. Although I just, I know our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is primarily talking about here, grieving the Holy Spirit, he's talking about trusting Christ. What is the job of God the Holy Spirit? It's to reveal Christ to us so we trust him. That's the job of God the Holy Spirit, so that we're saved by faith in Christ. And he has sealed us until the day of redemption. The day of redemption is when a sinner sees Christ by faith. When we see Christ crucified for my sin, that's the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the day when a sinner sees my only hope of salvation, is that Christ was crucified for me. Now, when we do something, to make it so that people can't hear the gospel because they're focusing on the disruption that we're causing. Not only have we given place to the devil, we've also grieved the Holy Spirit of God. I tell you that it's so subtle, but it, it's, it's, it's so easy to happen. We need to pray that, Lord, Lord, keep me from that. Keep me from that. See, the issue in our walk and our conduct is Christ. He's the issue, the, the preaching of Christ, the, the, the worship of Christ, that the folks have the opportunity to hear of Christ and believing. The number one way we can walk in good everyday theology is to make sure I am never the issue and Christ is always the issue. That's the best way we can walk in good everyday theology. Good everyday theology is living in dependence upon Christ. It's living in dependence on God's grace, not my works. Good everyday theology is living in such a way that I don't bring reproach on the gospel by my bad attitude and my conduct. That's good everyday theology. I hope the Lord bless that to you.